I'm with Stanley Kellerman. Hi, Stanley. Good morning. So we're going to talk about dreams. Do you want to maybe start with talking a little bit about how you see the function of dreams? You know, when you work physically, when you begin to introduce uh, a physical somatic contact with people, you notice that when they do exercises or bioenergetic exercises, physical exercises, somatic emotional exercises, that people dream. They tell you, oh, I had this dream last night after we worked. And I began to notice over time that there was a relationship between how people were trying to engage themselves to help themselves grow or solve a problem physically as we work or somatically, uh, mm -hmm. and how dreams generally follow this. And I saw the relationship of, wow, how the body is activated motivates dreams to come to the surface. And that relationship told me that the body dreams about its own dilemma, the body dreams about how it is engaging itself around something novel for itself, meaning the somatic exercises. Yeah, so already in the way you're describing this, it's very different from, say, the way a psychoanalyst would talk. You say the body dreams about its own dilemmas, and so there's a very, very uh, strong emphasis on the body in yeah. what you're talking about. Totally. And so I then saw that dreams played a role in how the organism itself was trying to deal with its own productions. How should I change myself? What is the situation that I find myself in in the dreams? So that I saw that I, if I began to look at the dream as the body talking to itself about its own dilemma or challenge, mm -hmm. open the door to tell me what the connection was between, let's say, mental activity, daylight activity, and the activity of the body below the threshold of the daily awake life. Mm -hmm. For that, everybody is looking for an interpretation of a dream, but nobody was looking for a rehearsal taking place about how the body might want to move itself or challenge how it is doing something physically. Like, for example, somebody would tell me, I had a dream uh, after you worked with me lying on the bed and asking me to tighten my pelvis and slowly disorganize or soften the tension in the pelvis. Mm -hmm. And then I, uh, I, I had a good experience with that. I felt some warmth in my pelvis, or I felt an uh, anxiety in my pelvis. And then I dreamed that I was standing by a door, and I couldn't open the door because I felt unstable and unsure whether I could walk through the door. And then I said to the person, well, stand up, and let's take the figure from the dream. You're standing by the door, and standing by the door, show me how you are standing physically. Mimic that. Okay, so I want to just slow down a little bit, 
to see that what's happening is what you're describing is we're no longer talking about interpretation as something that's a, a language as if from the outside or something that has to do with just thoughts and cognitions, but you're really directly into the language of the body. You've given this client a body experience and then he's had a dream that's related to it and now you're asking him to body the dream. To give body to the dream, yes. Yeah. So then he then mimics what he's done in the dream. He mm-hmm. tries to mimic what he's doing in the dream. I'm standing this way, I'm making a muscular model of this. But the importance of that statement is he's using his cortical activity to replicate and inherited or a reflex activity or an involuntary activity. He's established a connection between the cortical apparatus and the brain stem and the limbic system. Right. So we're doing that. He's involving the whole organism in trying to have an experience of mobilizing a way to open the door which was signaled to him in the dream about being shaky and how the shakiness was experienced as inhibiting him or making him unsure. And the more he mimics it and uses voluntary muscular effort, the more he's able to make corrections or additions and have other experiences, opening the door or being in front of people or taking a step in his life. Right. So what what's happening is he is first mimicking the dream, but as he mimics the dream, uh, there is a cortical effort, a consciousness effort, and then there is a movement that he's not normally accessing. Or that he's with. Yeah. Now, you use the word consciousness there for a minute, and I would prefer to think about it as a voluntary effort. Voluntary effort. Uh, it, it is the motor tracks of mm-hmm. the cortex trying to use a kind of determined effort. It is in the efforting of the mimicking of voluntary trying to use muscles to organize a particular movement pattern or a particular expression it is that effort which signals the big difference between the human being being passive to its own productions, dreams, and so forth, and how it engages a relationship between the higher brain centers and the lower brain centers. The voluntary effort becomes a self-forming effort, otherwise you influence yourself, mm-hmm. which is really a big statement about how we can view the human being as a self-influencing creature that is able to differentiate or reorganize his inherited behaviors, like the reflex of reaching out or the reflex of retreating. You right, sir. So we're no no longer just talking about uh, tropism or reflexive behaviors, but the thing that distinguishes a human being is the ability to create that voluntary action. Right, which is, we can call that 
creating, developing voluntary influence over one's inherited patterns of action mm-hmm. tells you that you're personalizing how you will be in the world. This is not willpower. This is a voluntary effort that takes practice and, mm-hmm. and has steps. It has a procedure of how much muscular and then cortical effort is involved in making a muscular model of the dream figure. Mm-hmm. And in this way, all of a sudden, the person realizes what's at stake here is how he can act how he was acting experientially and finding a way to directly influence and create experiences of how they are in the world with other people and how they're in the world with themselves. That's right. So the the dream itself um, is a moment of um, you see as a moment of uh, rehearsing uh, that activity, and uh, the work on the dream is an opportunity to uh, to introduce the voluntary dimension. It all, exactly right, but it's not reversing anything. It's first of all recognizing the pat the habitual pattern of behavior. Mm-hmm. Recognizing that you can influence it. That is, influencing means uh, increase or decrease the intensity of the, your response. Influencing means that differentiating it so that it has more fine motor control or less fine motor control. Mm-hmm. It means that you can influence its duration. These are, this is a very important in our, in, in our work. Say if somebody has a startle reflex of high intensity, which yep. mobilizes the upper body into a, almost a spasm of immobility, that you could now step by step differentiate the stiffness of the startle and bring investigation and curiosity, which is part of the startle mechanism, into the field of action in a voluntary way softening but not dismissing the startle pattern. Right, and the startle is involuntary, but then you transform it by bringing it to the voluntary area. Correct. So it tells you that the human being has the great possibility of using its own inherited library of behavioral acts to make it personal and differentiated as a way of regulating its function interpersonally and intrapersonally. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden we have now, we meaning people who are engaged in using formative psychology or body psychotherapists, see the organism as an acting, feeling, thinking, imaging organism that is always in the process of differentiating its action its way of experiencing its action, a way of thinking that comes from its action, and editing it by voluntary events that allow another kind of experience and action to take place. This, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. So actually, Stanley, what would be great would be to take another dream and uh, uh, see it. You know, my my fantasy is that uh, by describing the dream first and then uh, what you do, it would be something similar to what people would experience if they were watching a video and you were describing what happens in the video. Um, so could we talk a little about a dream you've worked on with a client, what you do, and describe what happens? A man dreams about following his wife on a city street. He has just lost his wife. Mm-hmm. I say to this chap when he tells me the dream, tell me how... Physically, you are following your wife. And so mm-hmm. he describes how he's sort of leaning forward and trying to move quickly up the hill and feeling that he's got to catch up. So at this moment, he's describing it as opposed to mimicking. Yes, he's now, I, he's, be, he's beginning to tell me how he's doing it. Mm-hmm. And then I say to him, Show me physically, make a physical act out of it. Let's take a moment in the dream figure's action, moving up the hill, getting ready to take a step. So he shows me how he stiffens his fingers and his neck and his head is leaning forward and how his uh, upper body is uh, in front of him, uh, the legs are behind and how his legs feel on the ground. And I then say to him also, this looks more like you're lunging forward. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, that, that, it does. It doesn't feel like I'm walking. Look, it looks like I'm trying to throw myself. And then I say, increase the intensity of your action. This is a freeze frame of an action of moving forward. Mm-hmm. To catch up. So that he increases the muscular tension voluntarily. He stiffens his legs. He holds his shoulders uh, stiffer, and then he begins to feel a sense of urgency. Okay, so what has happened there is um, first you have given him some feedback in the sense of describing how you saw his action, and it's, if it resonates with him, he says, yes, actually this is it, the lunging. And then you're asking him to modulate, to, to, uh, to intensify the, um, uh, you know, the um, intensity. What I did say to him, take the dream figure of walking. Mm-hmm. Make, uh, just tell me about it. He describes what he's doing to me. And then I say to him, imitate that. Mm-hmm. Voluntary effort to imitate it. So now you lift the dream figure from a cognitive plane into a physical plane. Yeah. By our voluntary act. He then experiences how he's doing it, and I just say, oh, it looks like this. I'm describing a pattern. looks more like lunging than it is like walking. Mm-hmm. And then he says, oh, yeah, that's right. That feels like that to me. But he could have easily said, hey, this is not walking. This is looking like I'm throwing myself. Right. <clears throat> so then he, he has the experience of what he's doing or trying to do or what he's rehearsing to do and he's connecting his action with his mental activity 
If I asked him to increase the voluntary muscular effort so it has more effort, <clears throat> he stiffens himself more. And all of a sudden, he has a different feeling. Yes. He feels urgent. He, a, a, a kind of urgency emerges from the mimicking of the action. And that urgency was not in the dream. That urgency now is in the state of mimicking it. And mm-hmm. he recognizes, wow, I do feel urgent to catch up, to her, but I'm frightened. I just right, and and he's experiencing this right here and now in the moment. Right. As yeah, and then I say to him, if you try to use less effort, but don't relax, just use less muscular effort with the figure. What happens? And then he uses less muscular effort. And he says, oh, you know, that urgency is gone. And then I say, do more effort. Or the urgency has come back. Uh Effort. And then he begins to realize, hey, wait a minute. I can manage how much urgency is in me. I can now diminish the urgency and ask myself, why am I so urgent? Yes. And I say to him, urgency is part of life. But if the urgency is not differentiated or managed, it's running you. And you can decide how much urgency is in trying to catch up. And then he says, well, you know, I'm not in any big rush to catch up with my wife who's dead. <laughs> Yeah. So, so what what you've done there is um, uh, made him aware of the urgency, and also made him aware that the urgency is something he can self-regulate, he can modulate. I would make one small correction, Serge. Mm-hmm. He became aware of his own urgency. Yes. I didn't tell him he was urgent. No, no. You created an experience for him where he could be, uh, he could become aware of because it. He was creating his own urgency mm-hmm. by how he was using himself, and that yes. he diminished his own urgency by voluntary muscular effort, which actually is voluntary muscular cortical effort. And in this way, he recognizes that the dream that he was having, the figure, was a rehearsal to interfere with his urgency of catching up with somebody who is now departed. Yes. And then that leads, of course, to more and more work physically about how urgency has been part of his life, how he can manage his urgency to become something other than lunging at something. So, then so I want to I want to just uh, go back on uh, something. There is that um, uh, you know, in a way, in a conventional therapy term, he's had an insight. But the difference is that in this case, the insight is not something that happens uh, just in a way having an insight, but not knowing how to use it. Because in a way, what created this insight is the practical experience of regulating his urgency. So at the same time as he has the insight, he also knows how to apply it. You could yes, that would be that you could say that that is what happened. That he he generated his. Uh, 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 
how he is in a situation, how he has to correct that situation. But what he realizes here, not only is he correcting himself so that he has a, a more harmonious relationship with himself or his departed wife, he realizes that he could actually influence the way he's in the world and have a formative approach rather than always trying to correct himself to be not like that. Mm -hmm. So what we have here is an insight to how action, how behavior, and how voluntary mimic behavior done in a particular formative way creates a whole other view of who the human being is. The human being is dreaming about how he is in the world and how he could be in the world by making corrections and differentiations to the physical characters in the dream which are his own production Mm -hmm. and how he can body them. So you then could say that a dream is part of the body's way of influencing its own behavior as it forms its existence. It forms its existence by re-embodying its own rehearsal of how it is in the world. Yeah. So that that's uh, that's uh, so the we're already we're not we're not using the dream as something extraneous because the dream is already very much this process. That's exactly. The dream is part of the process of the body rehearsing and reorganizing how it is in the world. We have, mm-hmm. we, you could say that the process of working with the dream that I've just outlined for you is the organization of memory. Because as he mimics what has taken place involuntarily, he is forming a motor memory of his experiences of differentiating his behavior and in making a motor memory of his own way of forming or correcting himself, he adds to the library of his lived experiences and creates a way of remembering. The memory is a form of remembering Mm -hmm. how he has influenced himself. Yes, and so that that's very consistent with um, uh, understanding of the brain as an organ of regulation and learning, and um, and uh, a whole human activity is uh, being involved in these processes. That's it, and that redefines uh, the human being for us, and casts a whole bigger light on the work of formative psychology and those people who are engaged in being somatic therapists. Mm-hmm. Now, we are really talking about more than the life of the body as a sensorial, sensorially pleasure mechanism. We're talking about the life of the body as forming its ex- personal existence during its life cycle. Being a person means organizing it anatomically and structurally that one is acting from how they have shaped themselves rather than being shaped. 
I'm, a, mm-hmm. I'm writing about this in my book on dreams, which will be out next year. Great. <laughs> Do you want to talk a little bit more about the sense of waves, uh, you know, that that, that uh, is very much a part of your uh, concept? The, uh, the waves of existence? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, what I see you say in using, uh, let, let's say, uh, I, I refer to a dream as being a motile anatomy. If you, took, if you look at the body, you see that there are different layers of cellular activity, which I would call very motile. So in the womb, uh, the creation of the body is uh, very mercurial, very rapid. There's so many body forms coming into view in the first weeks of life that you see there are motile shapes. Uh, mm-hmm. As the uh, embryo becomes uh, more and more uh, bigger in size, and even after it's born, the, it, the physical structure acting is not that quick and motile, but more porous. That's, uh, it doesn't hold its form very strongly. And then as it grows, its form gets stronger and less changeable. And that is, yeah. that's a rigid form. So then firmness becomes part of the organization of the adult, the emerging adult, and then you have a habituating behavior, reaching out, walking, learning to talk, that becomes automatic and has a different kind of anatomical event. So you see that these four stages are part of a wave. They go climb the scale of anatomical form and intensity, mm-hmm. a stable form, and then start the next wave of changing shape, like going from adolescent to adult, going from a child to adolescent, going from a fully formed adult to a, a, a maturing or older adult. And then the whole wave of shapes go through these four cycles. You see that in a dream, that a dream, if you don't stop short and tell yourself the dream, you forget it. The dream is very quick. It moves very quickly through you. And people recognize that if they repeat it or they wake up and say, oh, I remember that dream, and they tell it to themselves, that's a mechanism of inhibiting the motile and mercurial event of a dream mm-hmm. to give it more stability. Mm-hmm. Then if you increase uh, the amount of uh, muscular rigidity, by making a muscular model of it, you give the dream even more duration. And then as you alter the, uh, the amount of intensity in the muscular, voluntary muscular activity, you then, and differentiated, you add definition and duration to the dream. And if you keep practicing using the method, doing it more, doing it less muscular intensity, it becomes habituated and becomes a, a memory. That, mm-hmm. that would be now the wave of the body, which is stable, creating a very motile responsiveness that is given form over time, like a, the peaking of a wave, and then taking back the dream and re-embodying it. So that you see that the dream is part of the body's way of changing how it is in the world, and that it has these four stages 
which are like a, uh, a wave mm-hmm. that is has series of body shapes that connected over time. So that's what I mean by the wave. And, yes. And how are the, that is a developmental situation. So when this man is mimicking lunging and urgency, he is moving up and down the scale of being just an action that is taking place, lunging, an, mm-hmm. an action that acquires more form and duration, and then an action that requires differentiation and then integration into being in the world, not to act urgently or to act with less urgency. And that's a wave of going from the inside of the body to the social world and back to the body itself. It's a pulse that rides back and forth. And the dream then is sort of part of this process. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I think that it opens the door for all of us who are engaged in dealing with the life of the body as a avenue of helping a person uh, solve problems and be in the world in a particularly personal way, a very powerful method of self-regulation, voluntary regulation and, uh-huh. and voluntary forming. It tells you that you're not only correcting something and helping somebody acquire more sense of themselves, you're telling them that the dream and the way you use voluntary muscular effort brings a whole other layer of how you experience and manage being in the world. And I think this is a whole new dimension that uh, all those brave people who have taken a somatic attitude should uh, at least take a look at because it enlarges the scope and the vision of what it means to live and embody yeah. life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very much of, of a, yeah, I mean, a, an integrative process. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's, I would say, it. I think that, that uh, the way I look at the dream uh, through the eyes of formative psychology opens another edge for us to bring into the world a way of defining the human being as the master of its own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And so the experience of uh, working with the dream as you described it is actually uh, one experience of um, um, transforming something that feels um, foreign or a little bit, um, uh, you know, difficult to to deal with into something that is an experience of actually becoming the master uh, of your own life. Absolutely. This recording is part of the Somatic Mindfulness and Relational Psychotherapy podcast. See the website relationalimplicit.com